0: Nigel.
1: morning, JK. How are you, man?
0: I'm excellent on this fine day, and particularly for the launch of a uh, new show, which is always fun.
1: Yes, first uh, show in the series. Mm-hmm. And what we'll we be discussing on this show? Because we're putting out quite a few shows at the moment.
0: Yeah, it's um, we're getting a lot of questions now, which people are starting to email in privately. Obviously, not, not everyone wants to. Um, Ask questions on public forums, but we're getting a few questions coming through our social media channels, so that's good. Um, in our swapcast, we'll have to give um, Matt and Lana a tick of approval because they must be at least getting out there, so that's good for our digital people. Um, but a lot of challenges that come in from various size businesses, and that's something that we want to use this forum to help people who may not have access to um, companies like ours or whatever it is. So. I think we just take a selection of um, common challenges that people have and see if we can probably just maybe give an insight on our approach on how we would deal with them or some ways to look at these challenges and maybe fix them in um, your business if you're struggling with them too because there's a lot of universal themes that obviously come through. Um, So happy to help. Maybe we just jump straight into it. Beautiful.
1: Uh, I think that's a really good idea. I think the first thing that we should uh, have a look at, no matter what size business you are in, sales is always uh, one of the driving forces, if not the driving force in the business, Yep. and can often be something that is
0: amorphous. Is that a word? I don't know. I don't think so. (laughs) In context, what are you trying to say? Uh,
1: In context, what I'm trying to say is that sales isn't always regular and putting the consistent effort into the right areas while other things come in. Um, can affect sales and that can affect whether a business survives.
0: Absolutely. I mean the whole idea of sales is obviously we need to bring in revenue. Um, There's not just new sales, there's ongoing sales and people sometimes just look at it as sales as getting new clients but a lot of it is sales from existing clients. There's a lot of facets of sales that particularly smaller businesses – don't understand because they spend so much time trying to attract new business which obviously you have to when you're new. You need to go out and see first of all how do I get some money to survive? How do I start growing my business? And then where is my real value in the product or service I'm offering and where are the right markets? Then as you start to establish yourself where can we find other channels of selling to our um, current customers, um, reactivating other older clients whatever it is for your business so there's many many aspects of sales the most important thing is you have to have a business that produces sales and produces them fairly regularly because without having that sort of regular traction or the regular funnel where you can reliably 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 yet yeah, reliably look at how much money you're expected to bring in as a business, it's very hard to budget or start scaling the business. So a lot of the challenges, um, businesses with inconsistent sales um, structures is it's very difficult to plan. You can't be aggressive with your growth because you can't invest in more resources, people, structures, whatever you need to do if you don't know how to produce a client or at least can give a range of how many more clients that we're going to A, acquire or B, um, continue to service. So it makes it very, very difficult if sales is not run in a systematic and professional way within a company. Now, easier said than done, obviously, because one of the, particularly around the investment side of sales is one of the questions someone acquiring you should be is how do you get a customer? And a lot of the time where people lose a lot of value in their businesses is because, well, I have had relationships for 20 years with them or people and everyone knows me. So you could imagine someone wanting to buy your business and the first thing that you tell them is the way we attract customers is my reputation and you're the one actually stepping out. So in their mind they're saying, great, so we actually have no sales channel apart from you. So you're the value in the business. Yeah. Now, of course, there's other things in the business that – will be valued but you've got to start thinking about that as your own company is you can't just be the only one that is sales or, or the sales channel. Yeah, Because as soon as you do that, if you decide to have some time off or heaven forbid you need to take some time off or whatever it is, your business can't suffer um, dramatically by you not being there in terms of sales generation. So one of the processes we need to have is, as I start a business and you go from self-employed to then wanting to run a business where the business is running itself, how do you put in a sales funnel or a sales system or a sales strategy that can be replicatable? How do you get a machine that keeps generating new opportunities, new sales without you being there? Because that's the first thing we really need to build when we start scaling the business. Because without that, there's not really a business there. It's just you going out, finding more people or clients to service but it's a very dangerous game because it's reliant on you and it's not very scalable. So an example in this day and age is you see a lot of um, consultants or a lot of people that are helping others and you see them online and they're trying to scale their brand. So they're still a major sales driver but they need to get the brand to a point that enough people know about it so they create some inbound Mm -hmm. whereas they were running out and meeting people like we all do in smaller. service-based businesses. So they're scaling a brand in the hopes that they can then get um, inbound leads. So there's a hundred different ways to to do this but it's something that we need to break down, analyze and then work out at the stage of business you're in, what do you need to put in place which – and also – a topic i bloody love (laughs) yeah and just because you mentioned a couple
1: of things there that um, i just want to loop back around to firstly we've got a wide range of people that listen to this so we've got some people that are in that the smaller business space we've got people in larger people that are looking for investment or actually in investment themselves yeah um you talk from that investment end quite a bit across our many shows that we've got because that's your area of kind of that's where you like to play
0: I do, but also I like to frame it because I think it makes, um, it puts a good filter on decisions early on in any company, which is what is my exit point? So for me, running a business is, regardless of the investment, it's the sale. How could you get out of this and have it worth your effort? So for me, if you're starting a business, apart from whether you're someone who wants to be self employed, and as I said, I'm, I'm, I have high admiration for people who are self-employed, it's not for me because yeah. I want to grow a business which is an asset that grows itself because the idea as a business owner is, or well, someone who wants to grow a business is how do I put my energy, effort, stress, risk into an asset that should eventually outgrow all my other investment options. So it's very difficult to find a, fa- a faster growing asset class than a business. Yeah, But it's high risk as we've spoken about in, in um, previous podcasts that the percentage of survival is, you know, around 2% over 10 years. Like it's a really high risk game. So in order to put that energy and effort into growing a business, you want to make sure that the asset class you're building so when you might want to take your foot off the accelerator or start to realize some of that um, wealth for yourself, that it can can generate that. And that's where a lot of I think newer or inexperienced people who are into business, they're only thinking about survival day to day which is understandable but if you start with, well, what's my end point in this business right now? Of course things change but what is my end point right now? And if you put that filter on going, okay, so if my end point is wanting to sell this at some stage and two things are going to happen, either you're going to sell it or you're going to work in it your whole life, you're going to die, you're going to pass it on to your family and they'll sell it. So either way, it's going to get sold. Now, whether you want to leave that asset for your family that can be sold – that's sort of how I see or see the world. So, yeah. what we need to think about then is if you are someone who sees this as an asset that one day you're going to sell, what needs to be in place so you're irrelevant at that point so it's got the highest value? And that could be years away, but I just using it as a filter, I find helpful when we're making decisions because it also makes us a little bit more motivated when we're going through these complicated things like inventing a sales. Channel, yeah. Because really, and a lot of people don't look at it like this, but that is IP, and it's specific to a business. If you've worked out how to, the how you can acquire a customer, and you can put a value to that, that's that's a great piece of IP that your company has for when it eventually gets to a point where you're selling or seeking investment. It's a really important element. So, with that filter. Um, top of mind what do we need to do now even if you're just starting out how can i create sales and i think that's uh, you know the questions that are coming in for us that's what we're really looking at at the moment is i I think the question maybe we'll jump straight to it nigel yeah is uh, who, who was i think it was from paul um it was an interesting one so the, the, the topic
1: that came up there, the question was um, there's someone that's still heavily involved in implementation with their business. Yeah. So how do they find the balance to generate more sales and still implement so that they don't because he's finding that he'll go out and do a lot, he'll find that there's oh, not enough money in the bank account, yep. go out, do a lot of sales, then go, oh, now I've got a service at all and pull off on that sales activity.
0: Okay, well, it's, I mean this is common in a couple yeah. of areas or a couple of stages in business life and and I don't know Paul from a bar of soap apart from, you know, we'll probably Google him after this and see if we can stalk him because we're generally interested <laughs> in the type of people that are responding. But he could be one of two types I think just straight off the bat which is he's a smaller business now that is still a technician in terms of going out, trying to gather work, when he gets work he's then servicing that work so his time that he was spending in sales is now in technical delivery yep. which is very common for smaller businesses, people who are generally self-employed because that's a stage where it's not a business, you're just self-employed. You might want to morph that into a business but at that point, you're self-employed. Now, there's also a second time that people do that. And it's not necessarily being a smaller business, people who have got Bigger businesses, but don't have the senior leadership teams in or the managers in or the people that need to be running it, because they've never systemized the business that they feel they can't take their eye off the operational ball, so to speak. Yep. And so they're still bigger businesses, but you're still micromanaging people. So there could be one of two things. And Paul could be either one of those. But for the sake of this, let's just look at it as a smaller business at the moment, which is how do I sell? ...if I don't physically have the time. Yep. And we see this commonly with a lot of our particularly group um, classes that we've run in the past... ...which people just getting started and wanting to put in the fundamentals. So the first thing you have to do is you need to set your mind to what sales is for your business. So, excuse me, it's not an option. So it's like brushing your teeth in the morning. Yes, you can choose to have a few days where you're not brushing your teeth but the result's not going to be so good. People might (laughs) stop talking to you. Um, Eventually cavities are going to build and there's going to be, you know, problems. It's the same with sales. As soon as you take the energy out of growth, you're going to pay for it somewhere. And sometimes it's not immediately recognizable because there's a lag in a lot of these things. The, The thing about particularly smaller businesses is, the lag doesn't get felt until you really <laughs> don't want it. So the problem is you take your foot off sales, you're servicing clients, you're getting money in because you're now servicing clients and then the contract stops or that's the end of the – you've delivered or whatever it is. And then you have to go back to a standing start and actually re-kicking in that sales machine is difficult because sometimes it, t- it takes time to nurture – You've got to be trying different things. You've got to be having a lot of conversations. You've got to be online doing a lot of different things. Whatever your sales tactic is at the time might be you need to be reactivating joint venture partners. You you might need to go and visit all your strategic alliances but this has to be consistent effort because as soon as you don't do that, everything cools down and you basically start again and it's this whole famine feast that we discuss all the time which is work your bottom off, ...get clients in, service clients, feel like everything's going great. Engagement finishes with the client. You turn around the next day and go, I've got nothing in my pipeline. I've got money that's now dwindling. But this is just the common famine to feast, famine to feast, famine to feast. So for people like Paul, how do you actually physically find time? Well you actually have to set your sales time out like it was servicing a client. You have to have that discipline particularly if it's just you, if you're a one-person army. How do you set your, weekly, your minimum weekly sales efforts? It's why I actually quite like a lot of um, these smaller networking groups because it actually forces you into a structure because yeah. they get really annoyed if you don't turn up. So <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a really nice um, pressure for people new to business. Not that I personally go to these things but I, I, they're absolutely a great training ground when you're starting out. Because it forces you to do sales interactions, it forces you to talk about your business, it forces you to meet new people which is really quite wonderful if you think about it because without that structure, most of the people in these networking groups would, oh, I'm a bit tired, I'll sleep in, I won't do my sales and eventually dwindle, dwindle, dwindle till you, you lose your business. So I think the first thing is really discipline around it, what time am I allocating to it and What am I doing in those times? Because he's got less time at the moment, you have to look at what's been working best for me. And without that, you'll be doing a lot of things that just is spinning wheels. You actually have to start analysing your efforts. What worked for me? Now, that might be, well, all I do is have coffees with people, which is pretty common here in Melbourne. Coffees are. It's where business is done, over coffees. Sydney people mm-hmm. laugh at us because we spend more time <laughs> having coffees than making deals. That's a, a lot of my friends in Sydney who come down and goes, Oh you guys, all you do is have bloody coffees. In Sydney <laughs> you go in and go, I like the deal, we do it. Anyway, that's for another day we might interview a few of those because, but in Melbourne that's a lot of the style around here which is nurturing and um, getting to know people and as I said are an excuse to go and drink the best coffee in the world. I really hope that sparks some debate online. <laughs> I, um, but you have to work out then if I don't have that time, so if I have to halve my sales time at the moment, what part of my networking is working? Is it a type of person that I'm seeing that you realise a correlation between the work you're getting is actually not from your networking group, it's from one strategic partner that keeps sending you a type of lead? So you have to start refining where your efforts are so you, you can get the most bang for your buck for the time and you need to set your minimum sales time. Now for a smaller business, let's say, let's call it sub half a million, sub a million dollars in turnover. If it's just you, you really should be questioning whether you're doing maybe under 20 hours a week in sales. 20 hours. That's, that's like
1: a tenth of your working week as a, as a solo entrepreneur, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs>
0: well, sometimes it can really feel like that but unless you're getting consistent sales in, you really need to be putting that type of effort into sales um, sales-led actions. Now, if you're sort of on the top end of that half million-million type turnover, it's probably starting to look at who can free you up from menial tasks to... Um, give you that time back, so you're buying your time back. If you're the best person to do sales, I think particularly where people um, it, and this, I used to believe more strongly about this, but I, I'm shifting a bit, so I'm not sure where I sit yet. But maybe I'll talk it through with you, Nigel, yep. because it's um it's something I'm thinking about. Where the old the old rule of thumb was, unless you should be doing all the sales yourself as the owner of the company, and I agreed with that because I think there's no one, like most people want a solution which is as soon as I can afford a BDM we're set and not many BDMs work out. Yeah. Um, and I want to preface that with in smaller businesses because there's been no sales channel developed yeah. and if a BDM is worth their salt they wouldn't be pricing themselves at a point where you could afford them being that size business because they would really know the process and know that you don't have these systems and they would, if they're a person who can build those systems, build that sales funnel and get results, they'd be charging a lot more anyway. So for me, BDMing is a really dangerous type of strategy, sub $1 million if you've got no idea. They don't just fix the problem. Yeah, it's, um,
1: it's like the discussion about... Um CRMs and those kind of things and sales trackers that you introduce one of those kind of softwares into the business, they don't fix the problem, they just exacerbate what's already there.
0: Absolutely. And adding a new person into a smaller business is always very – it's a big move. So getting a BDM in is not going to probably fix your problem, um, particularly at what you can afford as that size business. Yeah. Now – Why I say I differ a little bit on the thinking around that is some people are horrible at sales. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I've just seen a few people recently that I I wonder whether they will get better at sales or their only shot is to try and find one of these or somebody that can assist them. But it's not necessarily going to BDM. It's going to be a hybrid salesperson and frankly – Sometimes I think maybe they just need to get a business partner which yep. is a whole different conversation but if, if you're not a good salesperson and you're self-funding a business, you're going to have some real troubles unless you're, you already have an amazing network and people are just throwing work at you which you see a lot and we saw it a lot um, years ago with web designers because there wasn't a lot of um, people out there that could articulate it. Everyone needed a website sort of 10 years ago. So they'd go to someone and go, oh, Jimmy can do a website. And Jimmy got all this work for the first two years. And as competition grew, as the prices dropped down of what you could get for what and Jimmy had never done any BDM, he'd just been thrown a whole bunch of work. But as soon as that channel dried up, Jimmy struggled and struggled to a point where there was no way he was going to able to get this business working And you could see a lot of these web designers that end up going f- working for other agencies or rolling into you know some other digital agency or whatever it was but if you're someone who owns the business sales has to be something that you're comfortable with and a lot of the time it's if you're not comfortable with it, it is working out why aren't I comfortable so in Paul's um, in Paul's case it doesn't sound like he's uncomfortable it sounds more of a time challenge yeah I'm too busy. Great. How are you going to buy back that time? So what are the strategies that you can implement in your company that buys back your time to do this? And a lot of people go, I can't buy back my time. I'm the only one who can do this. Great. You've got a problem in your business.
1: And I think a lot of the stuff that you're talking about and both from the sales side of things in bringing in a BDM, people being uncomfortable with sales, thinking that they're stuck in implementation is that a lot of people don't spend time In tracking the data of everything, so they go by gut feel. So their gut feel, they're uncomfortable in sales because they just go, "Well, I haven't prepped for this. I don't know what the next step is, but I can work my way through it." Then they go, "I'm too busy at work." Well, are you really? Have Have you actually seen what you do in a day and mapped it out?
0: Yeah, but I want to be very respectful for people. I I agree, and and. Obviously um, behind closed doors here we're more brutal around performance and actually tracking everything. I mean that's our whole shtick really. Yeah. yeah. We wouldn't have a company if people didn't see the performance sort of inside. So what we see is common is not so common out there. Um, there is always time and, you know, we if you're someone who's struggling with time and go, well, I've got too much work, the first thing is great. Raise your prices by 20%. And they go, well, no way, I'm going to lose clients. I go, well, if you're out of time and if you increased your prices by 20%, if you lost 20% of your clients, you're still making the same amount of money, higher margins, but you've bought back 20% of your time, all things being equal. Well, obviously, that's just a generic, um, yeah. don't, don't go and just start raising. Your- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm certainly not suggesting you just go and raise your prices, but I'm also not suggesting you shouldn't. Because a lot of smaller businesses are so overworked by low margin work and the reason they're getting a lot of this work is because they're doing it at a price where they're attracting the wrong type of client and this is part of that sales evolution which is I don't want that type of client, I want to see now how much I can charge for the service I'm doing because if you're too busy, you need to be able to scale it. So for any, a quick rule of thumb, just if you're there and it's just you in the business is If you replaced yourself just with the technical work, now a lot of people are going to say, but I'm the only one who can do this. That's not a good thing. You need to find someone who could replace what you're doing. If you had to find that person, what would they cost you for the year and what could they bring in? And if it doesn't add up mathematically that you could actually bring in someone to replace you, then you've got a challenge there. You have to look at your pricing, you have to look at your target markets, you have to look at all these things because you must free up time to do the sales. But if the sales aren't actually making you money, then there's something not right in your whole mechanism. And that's probably the the tough part of this is it's going to uncover where there might be some holes in your current offering. Yeah. But just for those if you know there are holes in your current offering, it's not the end of the world. That's now the opportunity. You You have to keep breaking your business and rebuilding it. That's... That's the game we're in.
1: <laughs> it's, it's a bit daunting though for people because they get it when you first start out. You get it right. And I know that with a lot of the smaller businesses, they start off with uh, you saying that they undercharge. It's because they forget to up their price. Like they go, well, this is the price it costs. And I speak from personal experience years ago when you go, well, every year there's a there's a cost of living increase around you but yep. you forget to raise your prices of your product or your service to accommodate for that as well. So you, not only are you undercharging initially because you want to get the work, three years later if you haven't raised your prices, you actually might be paying
0: to well, you, take clients on. Well, you definitely are. It's, it's like three years in a row you've provided discounts and then upped your fixed costs. Yeah. So it's a big one because obviously money um, for smaller businesses that, trying to capture as much as they can to just keep operations and no one wants to risk losing clients but that's when you get in the discussion around your value proposition. Is this actually the right client? It doesn't mean you have to suddenly price yourself out of that network but you might start in your sales efforts starting to try and attract a different type of client. And it's not easy. and Not easy because it takes a fundamental shift in your thinking. Yeah. So how do I break into that category of client? How right now just you know, from a cerebral a cerebral point of view, think about this. If you had to not sell what you're currently doing and you had to change category of clients. So whatever you're charging now, you want to get quadruple the amount. So for example, if you're a website designer, if you're charging $5,000 a website, how do you move into a $20,000 website category? Yep. Um, for us, we've got categories where you might have started with doing group class small business and you do… Now, you know, $100 million companies where you're going in working with departments, but you're charging four to five times, if not 10 times as much as you were there. You have to look at the product and service offering and you have to keep evolving it. I think where the biggest challenge is for many, many small businesses, not only raising prices, it's actually looking at their pricing model. So most smaller businesses or people who just started out, they're just looking at their fixed costs and adding 20% because their account told them so or Uncle Joe did, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But there are lots and lots of different pricing models and when you understand different pricing models, you'll see how you can charge more and your clients are happier. I think we might do a whole show on pricing models one day because yeah. it's an interesting one and it, it, it is a big breakthrough moment when you understand Even a lot of smaller businesses understanding concepts like value-based pricing and you you can Google them but we'll do a show on it somewhere. But it's very, very important that you understand that because unless you start generating the margins you need, you'll never be able to remove yourself from the technical work to free up the time which Paul's speaking about in terms of um, being able to then buy your time back and do more sales because you're the best person in the smaller company to do that. Now, let's look at this as Paul not in a smaller company. Paul's actually someone who's running a bigger company but finding that because they've got lots of staff now that they need to manage and they need to um, be there and they need to watch over bigger operations, bigger contracts, that's also an issue and that's where you have to worry about or think about what is it because it's the same process that will free me up to do more sales. But the question moves from how do I free myself up to do more sales to how do I build within this business a client generating sales funnel? How do I spend the time? So your time might be more around systemizing your sales efforts and building it into your company and then bring in a salesperson. Yeah. Because it's very important that whatever it is in the size of company you are, you need to be generating, as we said at the very start of this, regular leads, regular opportunities that can come in and you can almost – you'll never be able to set your watch to it but you should be able to get within a range so you can allow yourself to you know, predict what you should be spending in a particular area. Yeah.
1: So, And that's a level of surety that I know um, even some higher level salespeople, they don't necessarily have because they don't have the consistency of action behind or the um, the consistency to generate the leads. It's the pre-funnel work. Yeah. You get what
0: I mean? Yeah, I it is. And and particularly when you bring salespeople into your business or and we should distinguish between what's a salesperson because that's also a common mistake. People bring in a BDM and they don't actually know what a BDM is because yeah. a lot of BDMs come in and they've got a marketing tilt on what they do. So they'll create more exposure. A lot of smaller businesses are looking for someone who go and find a client and sell to them. And you've got to understand what you want that person's role. So you have to be very specific because not all BDMs are created equal and they also have a focus on the type of BDM they're doing. Particularly if they've come from a bigger company where their BDM work might have been relationships with partners. But you're a smaller business, you don't need relationships with partners at the moment. You need to go direct sales. Stage one, do this, 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 whatever it is. Yep. So it's understanding that first of all there needs to be enough activity in your sales channel and that's how do I generate qualified leads? Just note the word qualified leads. A lot of people think they've got leads because they spoke to someone. you got to work <laughs> out what a qualified lead actually is. And a qualified lead is someone who could or would or in the need to transact with you. Yep. So… What what can we do in order to generate that as a business? And that's I think the key to the whole thing is how do you buy your time back and how do you make sure the business generates enough of that activity? Because a lot of sales guys you bring in, the first thing they do is go to a hell of a lot of effort which is great. They should be. They're ringing everyone, past clients, old networks, going out running around like headless chooks. And that's fine for stage one. You expect the effort. The one thing you want to look at and this is where you see someone who's worth their salt is effort's not the point. Effort is the bottom line for you to allow them to keep their job. That's it. Someone who goes to a lot of effort but can't get a result is not useful for your organization at all because they don't adapt to... The changing conditions. They wait for help. That is not what we want. We want someone who goes to effort as their baseline and then sees what's working and adjusts their strategy to get results. At the end of the day, all that matters is results. People can't be sitting there going, We went to straight away, we, you know, I've seen this before, we've gone to so much effort. And then you see the salesperson turn around and go, But I think it's the business because people don't want it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, exactly right. They've got no idea what they're doing. So I think as, you know, people like Paul who will be freeing up time or going to that, particularly smaller businesses, work out what you could do to then not only get more time in that space but then if you are to replace yourself, how would you do that? Because sometimes just knowing how you would do that would make you go to more effort so you can develop a system before you bring someone in (laughs) because then you've got a proven system. And then there's a finish line on the effort
1: because sales can be daunting because it's just – continuing doing the same things for forever. But if you go, well, I'm trying to develop this at a point where I don't have to, you go, okay, I can finish
0: at that point. Someone else can come in and they can get at least 80% of what I do. Oh, absolutely. And that's, that's the way then you can start budgeting for who do you bring in. I think that's essential. It, it's Particularly we're talking about smaller businesses here is knowing what works and seeing if you can get someone to then replicate that. Yeah, But you brought up a really good point there, Nigel, which is probably why sales or – Lead generation is difficult particularly if you're someone who needs to be manually going out and doing this sort of stuff. You have to set almost your minimum and maximum for sales in your weekly routine because it's something you could do forever and you'll never feel like you've done enough. So setting a particular benchmark that you'll do every single week is really going to help… Because then you know, great, I've ticked that off. Now I can go on to the rest of running a business and all the things that get involved. But if you don't have that, you can actually go mad because you just have I done enough, have I done enough and you'll be more worried about the outcome, not um, what is the minimum out, what's the minimum effort we have to do in the business to generate an outcome. That doesn't mean that if you're not getting the results, you don't have to lift that effort yeah. but it might be more around refining that effort.
1: Yeah. It's… um. Yeah, it's one of those things and that's a, that's a self-fulfilling prophecy almost. As soon as you're worried about sales, the sales become harder to do than actually because they're not landing. You don't want to do them as much and it takes, hard, it takes more effort to get up to do them. Absolutely. And then it's just diminishing return until you're sitting at home watching Netflix.
0: Absolutely and exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely exhausted. I mean the idea is just remember if you're now, you know, you've listened to this and you go, yeah, there's a couple of things that I need to consider. Consider this. Sales is meant to be enjoyable and the reason it's enjoyable is because all you're doing is finding your solution a home that is someone else's problem. That's all sales is. Someone's got a problem, you have the solution and when you put those two things together both people are really happy because they get the thing they both want. I get to solve my problem, you get to provide the thing in the world that you're great at And all we do is transact with a thing called currency. But it's not convincing people to buy. It's not tricking people to buy. It is your solution seeking out the right problem.
1: I think it's a really good way of looking at it because um, you take your product out of it. Because most people at heart, I like to believe, are good people. They like to help other people. If all you go in is trying to help other people through the lens of your business... And that's a different conversation rather than trying to go in and sell something to someone.
0: Absolutely. And that's where most poor salesmen are is they're trying to sell. The really gun salespeople are there to help someone find a solution and then work out if that solution can be facilitated through the current business you're in. It's not trying to go and convince someone they have a problem they don't know – and then trying to squash your solution into a problem that doesn't have. And then not only do you get the sale, and then you spend the next, you know, interaction with the client being stressful because no one's getting what they want. It's not understandable. It slows your whole company down. You get a bad reputation, all that sort of stuff. It, it, you should not be trying to convince anyone to buy from you. Yep. Convincing is a sucker's game. You might get away with it a couple of times, but it won't be long before you're out of business. Sales is your solution seeking out the problem you can solve. And when you do that too many times, change the value of that. Find people with that sort of problem that you could service at a different level and then just keep following that tree upwards, upwards, upwards. Because as smaller companies, you can't be a real low cost provider of something of really high value. That's a bigger company and bigger budget offering. But you can certainly find people that want to work with a smaller business that just need to understand it more and then understand you also value yourself because if someone sees their problem is bigger, you come in as really low, they will understand or they will perceive that you don't really understand the problem because if you did, you'd charge properly because they know what they would pay to have that solution. Yeah, It's like going to a doctor, having life-saving surgery and they say, yeah, that'll be… $8.50, you'd start to go, what doesn't make sense about this? <laughs> How long is this
1: arm going to stay yeah, on? It's yeah, it's
0: exactly right. It's it, People get nervous when your price doesn't match the value of them getting a solution.
1: It's an interesting point because that whole pricing thing, if you're talking about price in a lot of industries, it's the wrong conversation to be having.
0: For smaller businesses? Yeah. Absolutely, and different types because we should – Obviously, there are there are businesses that are price sensitive, regardless, yeah. and it's hard to differentiate. Yes, you can differentiate between service and a whole lot of other factors, but certainly that's um, certainly that's the case.
1: Yeah, but if you come back to a lot of the times, if I find previously when I was in sales, if I was talking about price and haggling around that, I'm going looking at the relationship six months later. If it did progress forward, go, uh, I go, I should have seen this right at the start.
0: It, it was there. It's just when people want to make a sale yeah. and believe that by working together they're going to then work it out. It's no, there's been a value misstep prior to the transaction and we need to make sure that that value alignment is there well before we transact. That's with pretty much every business in the world.
1: Yeah. It's a very easy tra- uh, trap to fall into though.
0: Absolutely. When you're out
1: there and you've got budgets and whatnot.
0: And particularly when you're under a little bit of scarcity because you haven't been consistent with your sales funnel, you're then grabbing at things you shouldn't as a business because you're worried about not having enough to, you know, support the business, support, pay staff, pay whatever it is. So – ...you then start grabbing the wrong type of businesses. You then start compromising what you're really good at... ...and sort of moving 10 degrees left, 10 degrees right. And Then suddenly you find yourself six months later... ...with a whole bunch of clients you don't want. A whole lot of value misalignment. A whole lot of work that is not profitable for you. And you've got a bigger challenge then. Because you basically didn't put the time in to keep filtering through... ...in the lead generation six months earlier... ...because you had no time to do sales. So we've probably come full circle which is a <laughs> nice... Um, A nice bow to tie at the end which is the consistency around sales is essential because it allows you to keep filtering the right type of prospects into your sales funnel. If you get distracted or create lags by servicing your business and stopping doing those things that are working, you're going to wear it somewhere and most likely it's going to be at the time you don't want to. So find the discipline, work out the strategies and make sure you free yourself up even when you're busy to consistently go out and generate work.
1: That sounds like a beautiful way to end off, TK. <laughs> Thank you very much, sir.
0: Thanks, Nigel. I enjoyed that chat.
1: And um, we'll have another one next week. So if you do have any issues that you would like uh, to be discussed on the podcast, please contact us via the links below. Cheers, mate.
0: Great, mate. See ya.
1: Bye.